Welcome to the Elevate Together podcast, voices of change in the business of law. Hello, this is Nicole Giantonio, the head of global marketing at Elevate. The podcast episode you're about to hear is part of our expert series, featuring Elevate's president, John Croft, hosting the first of several conversations on his expert topic, deliberate equitability and inclusion. John's guest for this episode is Richard Given, general counsel and company secretary of 10X Future Technologies, a fintech established to transform banking. We're pleased to share this conversation between two white, non-diverse men talking directly about deliberate equitability and inclusion, why it's important, and what they're doing to support equitability and inclusion within the legal sector. Listen closely to hear the broad definition of diversity being applied. A production note, during the recording of this podcast, John Croft's internet connection was less than optimal. All of his words are audible, but the sound quality varies throughout the 20 minutes. A full transcript of this episode is available on elevateservices.com. So Richard, thank you so much for joining us today. We're here to talk about deliberate equitability and inclusion. Lots of people talk about diversity and inclusion. We decided that diversity is sort of the outcome we want from it. And actually, the plan should be around equitability and inclusion. And so it's great to have a chance to chat to you about this. I was going to kick off with what I think for me, at least, would be sort of the elephant in the room. And what I mean by that is I once spoke to somebody about what could I do as a bloke to help on diversity and improve it. And they said, oh, if you ever speak on panels, if anyone asks you to speak on a panel, which they do from time to time, check that the panel is a diverse panel. And if it isn't, ask them to change it or don't speak on it. And I found that to be very effective. And so I guess it is ironic that in the first of these discussions about deliberate equitability and inclusion, we have two middle-aged, middle-class, straight white blokes who are not economically disadvantaged. And I just wanted to kind of front that up and say, why do you think you and I have the sort of authority, if you like, to be having this discussion? Delighted to be part of this. To deal with that elephant head on, change really only ever comes about when those who benefit from the status quo actually change it. It's so easy to, as a white, middle-class, middle-aged, whatever the rest of the list of things I am, to sit and just live in ignorance and quietly get on with my life and say, I'm not doing anything wrong. And that it actually perpetuates the problem by just doing nothing. And so for me, I too have spoken to a number of people about what can I do? And I've heard the same idea of not speaking at events where they're not prepared to make sure that a diverse panel is present. And I think it's more educating yourself and understanding what you can do to be an ally to those who are disadvantaged, to take the positive steps to improve the situation as opposed to sit still and say, well, yes, absolutely, it's a good idea and support, but without doing anything. In the legal sector where you and I both work, you work in a law department, I work in a law company, and there are many law firms that, generally speaking, the diversity of people one meets is not the mix that we think it should be. One of the reasons that we're talking about this and one of the reasons that it's important to us is it's the right thing to do, and I hope that goes without saying. But one of the other reasons is that we are trying to build a business based on outcomes. And what I mean by that is that unconstrained by 
traditional boundaries of age and race, gender and orientation, etc., are things that have been difficult for people to deal with up until now. And what I mean in sort of plain English is that if you were to call up a lawyer in the past, a corporate lawyer, you'd generally be calling up a building. You would give the work to somebody who put a suit and a tie, and they were often male and white and sort of sitting there, and they would do the work the way they wanted to do the work, and they'd finish and they'd send you a bill. Our feeling is that as a buyer of these services, you're after the outcome of that, which is the work that they give back to you. And therefore, it shouldn't matter if they're in London EC2 or they're black or they're white or they're male or female or gay or straight or old or young or whatever it is. Is that something that you agree with in principle? And why do you think that is important to you as a buyer of these services? It does matter to have a diversity of perspectives. One of the challenges of the legal profession has been it's very precedent-driven and organisationally it has been built in the shape of how it was before and every generation looks to the previous generation and for many generations law was a white man's job and as a consequence it is built around what is convenient and suitable to a certain set of society and part of the challenge I think is that traditional law firms built around a model of decision-making by those who are least incentivized to make the changes. I was on a panel, a non-diverse panel actually, over 10 years ago now, and we're talking to managing partners, talking about change. And a question that was asked of me was, one bit of advice would you give the managing partners? And I said, well, in all honesty, don't change a thing because actually you've got no incentive as individuals to change anything because you're maximizing your earning right now. So why would you make an investment decision now that could detrimentally impact your income but will benefit the firm in the longer term. And sadly, a lot of firms have actually followed that model. The change has to come from without. It won't come from within firms. And so for me as a general counsel, supporting change is something that is really important. If the change is going to happen, we have to be the ones as general counsel who drive that change. And we drive it by demanding that change or demanding the behaviours of our legal providers. You're looking for how to best spend your money to drive better outcomes. Whilst I agree with you that probably the change is going to come from the law departments because you're spending the money, do you really think that that's the only way? Do you not think there's a sort of a driver from within a law firm to change? Yes, I think change is trying to come from within. I think there are a lot of people who are recognising that there is a, to use a Gladwellism, a tipping point coming for firms. The fact that there is such a large drop-off in diversity as you look up the traditional qualification ladder of an organization and into partnership. Firms are beginning to realize that that's not sustainable. Trying to work out why certain people don't want to have a career as a partner and whether or not there are different career paths. Yet this is all happening and it's great. And uh, and I don't want to dismiss it by saying it's not effective. It's all of the above have to happen. And I recognize that it's quite tough for general counsels at times to take the harder decision for the longer term themselves. We're all facing yearly or quarterly performance targets and cost pressures now more than ever. Doing the right thing is hard. It can sometimes feel like tomorrow's necessity. And if we don't change it today, it's still be there tomorrow. So let's deal with it tomorrow. And this is always the problem with big slow burn problems is there's never the crisis to make it happen. There's another priority to look at today and we'll look at it tomorrow. How do we actually go about it? And there's this old, which is probably a cliche of you can't manage what you don't measure. I think an important first step in any change like this is to assess the current situation. We did that a few years ago. We're only an eight-year-old company. I thought, as the 
team and I sat down to talk about this because we thought we should measure and report ourselves, even though we weren't sort of obliged to. I thought, well, gosh, we're only eight years old. And actually, one of the core values that we talked about when we started the business was that it would be diverse. And the group of people that started the business was diverse. I sort of thought we'd be doing okay. And yet, I too was surprised to see that there were pockets within our organization that were not as diverse as I had assumed that they would be. From your discussions and views around the market, what do you think a good equitability and inclusion sort of program looks like? The first thing that has to be understood is that it's a journey. This is a generational change, and it will take us as long as a generation, if not more, to really get to a point where we stop talking about this and we stop talking about it as something that needs doing. It just happens all the time. Therefore, you have to recognize the change is incremental. And it is focusing on the things you can make a difference to and making those differences, not trying to do everything at once, not trying to pretend that you're perfect. 10X is on a journey like every other company for EDNI, as we call it, to address the improvements we can make. It's a long-term journey and every company needs to do the same. So I think that's probably the most important thing. Secondly, we have to listen to why it is that people don't want to join the law or why it is that people leave the law, leave the legal services and actually look in on ourselves as to what can we do differently? How can we do it, make it work so that organizationally it's attractive? It's very easy to say these things as a general counsel. It's much harder to have hard those conversations about making a difference. So I was talking to a partner of a law firm earlier this week about resourcing of future deals. And they talked about one of their senior executives who works three days a week. And they were quickly went on, but of course, it's quite difficult to get, they put them on a deal because they're only here half the week. Well, actually, we need to make that work. If that's going to be something is a career path that's of interest to a more diverse cross-section of society, then we need to make a way to make that work within an organizational framework so that transactions can still go ahead and we can use their resources because you're missing out on a whole raft of people who are very good at their job, very committed, very keen to make a difference, but aren't able or aren't prepared, doesn't matter which, to put in five days a week or six days a week, whatever it is that law firms traditionally expect. It's incumbent upon everybody to listen and then focus on this. I was in a situation once where I hired someone and their law firm rang me up and asked me why I'd stolen them. I offered career path that they chose over the career path you're offering. And maybe they need to think about why it is that that person left. And I think that it's listening to it and working with people who are coming up and not to assume that just because someone's 30 years in the job, they know what it is. Change is happening and therefore you need to listen to those who are living it. Listen to all generations and work out where we can make a difference. One of the things I've noticed is that the next generation of future lawyers are collaborating amongst themselves far more than any other generation ever has done before. You only have to go onto Instagram or on the web generally on Twitter to see these groups growing as they help each other understand how do I get a paralegal job or what opportunities are. There was a someone who didn't even realize until they found out on Instagram that you can train as a lawyer through in-house. They assumed you had to go to a law firm. And actually, that was found out through Instagram. And you realize that actually, it's exciting. These opportunities are there. That groundswell of, we will not put up with the way it is today. We will demand that change, I think is a really exciting opportunity. And so the more that general counsels like myself can get behind that sort of momentum, and we can bring pressure from above and below, as it were, that will drive the change. One of the things that you did in the last six months, because we provide services to 
your organization. You wrote to us and it happened to come to me. And it was an email and it basically called out in public buying behaviors of the GC and how those impact the way law firms can then deliver the work back to you. I was at a, an event where I watched a very, very senior person in the legal profession, what looked like to me having a very difficult time and not knowing which way to turn because of the pressures of their clients were unrealistic on them. And it really hit home to me and going, if I don't do something, I'm part of the problem. It comes back to my first point right at the beginning of it, that we need to make a difference. We Otherwise, we're part of the problem. And I realized I risked being part of the problem. So I actually wrote to every single person who supports the 10x legal need, uh, whether they are lawyers, law companies, whatever, and said, basically, you must understand from me that your individual number one priority has to be your own well-being and that it is not in my interests. And this is a commercial point. It's not an altruistic point. It is not in my interests to drive you into the ground. I can deal with the fact that someone says, I know I promised you something on Tuesday next week, but it's now Thursday and I'm going to be a bit late. It'll be Wednesday. And while that might be frustrating and all the rest of it, I can plan accordingly. What I can't deal with is being told, oh, so-and-so has been taken to hospital because they've worked themselves into the ground. And then they're off three weeks, four weeks, six weeks, and we have no handover, no control. And that is notwithstanding the the personal impact on the individual, which is awful, and I would not want it on anybody. A hard-nosed economics and commercial need imperative say that that's not a good idea. So it's not me being altruistic. It is me being pragmatic for the longer term. It's about making sure your time horizon is sufficiently long to think about what is right for the company, for the individuals. What is interesting is the responses I got from that email, which were, I'm pleased to say, overwhelmingly positive, but also, sadly, a number of people saying, could you persuade XYZ client of mine of the efficacy of what you're telling me? Or can I forward it on to my other clients? Clearly, all is not well in law land and that people do need to recognize that you need to be part of the solution, otherwise you're part of the problem. It was very impactful to receive and beyond the team that works with you, I was able to share it with our our wider leadership as an example of, yes, you must stand up and be counted. We talk about the workplace of the future. Are there any examples of that that you've seen working well? Are there any that you've seen working badly or have there been any that have surprised you? I think that the way in which firms have responded has opened their eyes to the opportunities to be more open to different ways of working. And I think that a number of firms have done a good job of providing technology, providing a support, helping people do their jobs effectively. There's an opportunity and a challenge. The opportunity is that suddenly your marketplace for recruiting is much wider. If you're not needing people to be in EC2, then they don't need to live within commuting distance of EC2. And therefore, my database can be much larger when I'm looking to hire good talent. The challenge of it is, is that how do you make sure you develop people? And how do you make sure that the next generation of professionals, whatever, whether it's law, accountancy, technology, whatever, are getting the right support, the opportunity to ask questions, getting the right training. Law has historically been an organization which is taught at the feet of the expert. You sat in the partner's office, certainly I did as an article clerk. Even if it's open plan now, you sat near the partners and you had the opportunity to spot when a partner was finishing something, you'd wander over there and ask them for a quick question. How do you know when you can go and do that to someone when they are remote from you? You can't see whether they're free. You, You may be quietening people who are already nervous to ask questions. So what worries me is, are we excluding a set of society from wanting to be in the profession because of the technology is putting them off or the way in which work? I don't have the answers to that, 
But I think that the firms that are thinking about these things and making sure that they are finding ways to provide a, a way in and a way to develop for all types of people. It is a challenge that we all have to face. I don't think that it's going to be one that's solved overnight. I think that you have to be recognised that people make mistakes and will make mistakes and get it wrong, that people will be accused of being tone deaf because they've misspoken or misdone it. But actually, the important thing is the intention and the purpose with it you respond to challenge and move forward. I'm just going to go back and touch on a couple of things you mentioned there. One was the next generation of lawyers coming through. And the other is, what can we as white men do to help? I was approached the other day through LinkedIn. And like everyone else that approaches me, they were a young lawyer. And they said, you know, I'm looking for a job. Can you help me? And I did what I would always do, which is I passed them on to the right people here. Um, and in doing so, and in looking through their CV, which they'd attached, I saw that they were male and they'd been to a private school and they'd been to Oxbridge and yada, yada, yada. I was very happy to do what I could for them. But it made me think that I've never been approached by a young black female wannabe lawyer from a low socioeconomic background. And if I was, I would behave in the exact same way. But what do you think can do to crack this sort of boys club mentality, which I think has been part of the problem in the past? So I think the one thing I'd take challenge with is do the same thing as you do for the, the traditional applicant. I think recognizing that different people are different and that they therefore need different support is, I think, a key component of this. And it's a thing I've only recently come to recognize that I need to do in myself. Trying to pretend you're blind to their differences and that you'll treat everyone equally is actually, I think, I now understand is probably the wrong answer. To treat people with equity is to recognize their position and therefore and respond to their own individual situation accordingly. And that therefore, that you should not say, okay, that's fine. We'd like to have you as long as you've got three A's at A level and you've got a 2-1 or better at the university. We don't care where you're from. That actually is part of the problem. We all know that there are differences across the education. And I think that recognizing that your life experience is different. I met someone recently who has almost the most identical CV to myself. They went to Harvard. I went to Cambridge. They were privately educated. I was as well. He's black. I'm white. His life experience, therefore, is incredibly different because of that. Recognizing these differences and responding to them is a critical part of, of giving people the opportunity to succeed in the way in which we want them to in the law. I think it's fair to say for anyone that's been listening will realize from everything that you've said that you personally are leaning in and really doing a great job here at your organization. How do you find colleagues behave when these topics come up? Is there anything that you as somebody that is clearly successfully pushing this topic forward, is there anything that you've been able to do to help bring others along who might not have done so naturally? I think the key thing I do is try and be an ally to those who are have a diverse background and recognize that my voice as a member of the executive is powerful and use it carefully and appropriately to support them. I think that as with any society, there are always fast followers, there are early adopters and so forth. And it is having conversations with people and moving them along the journey at a pace that they can keep up with themselves and make the change. and. That's what we are doing at 10X. And we have an employee-led equality team. The executive is very much sponsoring this and working hard to listen to what's being asked. I'm delighted that I'm an ally of the LGBT plus network at 10X. And I was pleased uh, to be able to record a short video internally to, to support them so that people recognize that 
that I'm there, I'm here, and I can listen to what they have if they have concerns, bring their concerns to me. And I think that's what, as lawyers, you can do with any organization is to be recognized as someone that you can be trusted to listen and recognize the challenges that some people face and help them navigate them and help the organization respond appropriately. Great. We're coming to the end of our time. I was just going to pick back on one of the things you mentioned earlier, which is beyond this being the right thing to do, that one gets a better result with a diverse team of people. As we are both business people and we're kind of looking for actual business impact, is there an example you could give where you've seen that where a good diverse group of people has delivered a better business result than a non-diverse group of people? Well, so the non-diverse group example I can give, I could take you back to the room that I sat in. I know exactly which room it was, in which building, in which company's offices. I was sitting in at one o'clock in the morning when there were 11 male lawyers sitting around a table and one representative from each side of the client debating an issue, which I was the article clerk in the room, which shows how far back this goes, debating an issue that was more money was spent on the issue in that room than the issue was worth from either side. And that actually they could have just gone, add it to the list, move on, not interested and pay for it. I think that one of the things that is great when you have a diverse group of people and diverse across multiple axes is, as I've mentioned before, different perspectives are brought to bear, different experiences are brought to bear, the what-if questions or what-about questions. And you actually realize that your thinking is so much dictated by your experiences that you don't necessarily see the issue fully. It also helps drive outcome-based thinking. What do we want to achieve as opposed to how do we win? I'm not interested in winning. I'm interested in being successful as a business. And therefore, the negotiations need to be successful for 10x and for the counterparty. There is no value in driving someone into the ground to the point at which they can't make any money in a deal ever. And then the behaviors will be your undoing in the medium term, if not the long term. I think that that diverse group will more likely deliver better outcomes. My experiences are to that effect. I can't necessarily give you a specific one here because we'd get into a whole load of detail that frankly would be dull for the listener. But it is over my career, I've seen on a number of occasions, exactly that, that we get a better outcome. I've worked across multiple jurisdictions and multiple cultures. And you recognize that actually you need to understand what good looks like for everybody and then work out how to deliver on good rather than I want to win. Richard, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been fascinating chatting to you. I've been very taken with a number of very specific things that you've been able to do. I've certainly made a note and I hope others uh, that listen will be able to do too. So thank you for joining us. You're very welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Tune in to the next episode of the Elevate Together podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and elevateservices.com. 